0: But I don't I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should, should have always won or but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. Episode three of the Australian Open or Mid Tournament episode. First I want to start by apologizing for all that sniffling that was going on in the last episode. I don't know what the hell that was.
1: <laughs> I was listening back, editing it, and I was like, oh my god. It was annoying in person. I I didn't know that it was gonna come through on the recording though.
0: Oh
1: well. It happens. I was worried that we wouldn't have enough material for another mid-Australian Open episode. That is not a problem. Before we get into it, an update on our GoFundMe. We have reached our goal and exceeded the goal. Uh, Thank you so much. It is very humbling and it is very awkward to ask for money, for me at least. And I just want to say, it's a lot of money. Like, it's a huge responsibility. Uh, To me, $20,000 is a, a lot Right. It's not it's not like play money for me. Um, so it's been a like journey to kind of accept that that comes with a massive responsibility to continue doing good stuff that people enjoy.
0: And that it's the only real alternative to ads, which frankly would not even be a drop in the bucket, a fraction of that. Right, right. But the reality is, too, that air travel in particular is so criminally expensive right now. Every time I go to book a flight, I am just in awe of what these airlines are able to get away with. They say, "Oh, book this, book this wonderful sale, and the base price includes a ticket to jail." And in order to get out of jail, you have to spend $200 right. more.
1: With the base price, you might be able to stand on the wing. When I started traveling again after the pandemic last year, I guess, I was shocked, absolutely shocked. I didn't know there were all these new tiers if you wanted to, I don't know, bring a purse or reschedule or cancel your flight. At a bare minimum, you should be able to change your flight.
0: Fine. Don't refund me. Don't give me back the money. I should not be having to spend hundreds of dollars to be able to change a flight months in advance. That's criminal. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, I heard that the airline industry is in trouble and they're having trouble actually turning a profit. So I guess this is a necessity for them.
0: Our travel plans so far this year, we teased a spring trip. We can tell you that both James and I will be in Charleston for a spell. I, yesterday, I just booked a solo trip to Miami for a couple days. And the rest of the year, we'll
1: see. That's all we've been able to nail down so far. Mm -hmm. That's probably not all. We just haven't gotten down to planning yet. As we said before, the campaign is still open until the week after the Australian Open ends. We're not going to be promoting it anymore because we've reached the goal, and that would feel very uh, unseemly. But
0: if you've been planning to and just haven't yet, you still have the opportunity to donate until, what, the end of January, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Thank you to everybody who's donated so far. If you've donated $100 or more, we have... A brand new postcard which just arrived in the mail today. We're looking at it.
1: I'm so excited about it. It's it's
0: really cute, I think. Comes with two bookmarks. So please send us your addresses if we don't already have it. And if we do, just let us know that it's the same as it was before.
1: Let's talk about the tournament. I think for once we will start with the men. Why? I don't know, because that's how (laughs) I wrote the agenda. I don't really have a good reason. Uh, (laughs) The men's draw... The top six seeds have reached the quarterfinals.
0: Such consistency. Right? It's just, the men's game is just so reliable.
1: <laughs> this has not happened since Roland Garros in 2012. And in the quarters, there's nobody outside the top 12. Taylor Fritz is the, high, the lowest ranked player in the quarterfinals. All seeds.
0: The way it lines up, Djokovic will play Fritz. Novak has a very comfortable 8-0 head-to-head record against Taylor Fritz. Yannick Sinner plays Andrei Rublev. Sinner leads that head-to-head 4-2. And this becomes yet another opportunity for Rublev to break that quarterfinal curse. He's currently 0-9 career in slam quarterfinals. And he's staring down the barrel of a very long gun in this one. Urkacz takes on Medvedev, surprisingly to me at least. Urkacz leads that head-to-head 3-2, and that guy plays Carlos Alcaraz
1: with that guy leading 4-3 in their career head-to-head. Every time Novak Djokovic has made the semifinals here, he has won the tournament. That's 10 semis, 10 titles. Good luck, Taylor. It looks like you're the only hope. All of the prognosticators say that Yannick Sinner is the most likely of anyone to beat Novak Djokovic, but he has a potentially long and difficult quarterfinal ahead. Andre is looking really good. I think Carlos, with the way he looked in his last match,
0: is right there with Sinner. Mm. And Carlos has won two of these things already. And Carlos has beaten Djokovic in a slam final before. My hesitance to pick Carlos as one of the big favorites for this tournament was because I have not seen him play at that level in a while. And it seems like A1-1. Alcaraz is back. Mm-hmm.
1: And we just don't have a lot to go on with Alcaraz in Australia. Last year, he didn't play. We just don't have a lot of data. There were a few surprises in the round of 16. The number 69-ranked Portuguese player Nuno Borges made the round of 16 by beating my perennial breakout pick and fave, an animal rescuer, yeah, Alejandro the- Davidovich volcina We know this by now. And he played another... Another one of the second-tier favorites for this tournament, Grigor Dimitrov, beating him in four sets. That was a dropping-the-bag moment for wow. Grigor. That was
0: upsetting. Uh, some described it as typical Grigor, the, precisely the type of loss you'd expect from him. But to Borges, of all people? Right, but Borges has been playing well. Sure. And played well in his fourth-round match, too. So it's... what well, I mean, there's so many... Of these matches that you could say the same thing for, especially on the women's side.
1: Right, But to (laughs) Jastrzemska? But to Noskova? No, but... mm, Well, we'll talk about it. But these are players who have had big results or have been coming. Sure, sure. This was... uh, It felt like out of nowhere.
0: I just defer to Elina Svitolina's comments in press when asked if she was especially disappointed because... It looked like this tournament was wide open and and was there for the taking for her. And she said, well, sure, but the people who make the quarters, the semis, the finals, they've beaten big players. They're playing very well. All that other stuff, the ranking, what have you, is irrelevant
1: at that point. True. We have been seeing less of it on the ATP side. Borges, for his part, he's 26 years old. This is only his third season playing slams. And it's the first time he's made it past the second round. A wildcard, Artur Kazou took out Halgarun, as you know, and Greekspor. He's 21 years old. He's only played three matches at the Grand Slam main draw level.
0: Apparently he was suffering from some kind of gastro illness in his fourth round match against Urkacz. And was very careful to not really shake his hand, to mm. keep his towel separate, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, I hope it wasn't the two sushis and two smoothies. Oh. <laughs> hey, I wanted to name the episode that, and I'm pretty upset that you don't want to. I, I, it's just not that girl for me, <laughs> that title. Kazoo went out in a tight straight set match versus Orkac. Myomir Ketsmanovic bageled Tommy Paul in the fifth set. Tommy Paul who made the semifinals here last year. And in turn, he eats a bagel
0: at the hands of Carlos Alcaraz in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Cam Nori, who had gone through a pretty terrible time in the second half of 2023, dealing with uh, a wrist injury, he showed up with a much more aggressive game plan here. And he also looked like he may have been carrying an injury leading into this tournament, mm-hmm. but managed to give a good account of himself. Well, except for losing to that
1: guy. Sure, but he beat Ruud in four sets takes that guy to five sets, and loses in a fifth set tiebreak. We were watching Fritz and Sitsipas for like a set or two the other night. It was actually a a fun, entertaining match, I thought. Fritz was really impressive. I have to give him that. It's his first top 10 win at a slam. That was surprising to me. He won 86% of his first serve points against Stefanos. He just looked... He was. he's quick athletic he made some lunging backhands that were pretty shocking and as a result his girlfriend morgan riddle had to eat vegemite and they filmed it of course i didn't know she was going to eat like a whole big gob off a spoon aren't you supposed to put it on toast or something you've had it before no but isn't that what they do not speak to this she had did you watch the video? I did watch the she video. She went off camera and retched, like gagged. It was <laughs> it felt a little dramatic. It was to a me.
0: little bit dramatic. I I've, uh, I've had Vegemite y- before and it's perhaps it's an acquired taste, but ultimately it was a taste that I did not enjoy.
1: <laughs> Check the reference there. Um it's yeast extract. Whatever that means. Mm. It is Fritz's third slam quarterfinal of his career,
0: back-to-back now after reaching the quarters in Flushing last year. And if you recall, he was bounced from Flushing Meadow by Novak Djokovic in one of the most listless performances you'll see from somebody who yes. actually won nine games in that match. It was, it was mm, to this day, I'm still annoyed by it. <laughs> But if you're looking for somebody to upset Novak, it's not without hope. Because back in 2021, the third round, Taylor Fritz took Djokovic to five sets in Australia.
1: Oh, I forgot that. We will see if Taylor can muster something better than what happened in the U.S. Open. Djokovic, for his part, is in I it just in his flow state. Like, against Manorino... He's up 6-love, 6-love. He's dominating so much that he actually has to manufacture drama for himself. And we've seen this before. And he even said, I kind of wanted to lose this game because there was so much tension building up, it needed release. And it does explain a lot about his mid-match behavior. For someone who's so gracious and so respectful after matches, his... His behavior during matches is a stark contrast. All that stuff is less interesting to me. As for Novak,
0: the actual form that he's in, he came in kind of scratchy, right? He did, yeah. And losing sets in his opening matches. The opener against Prismich, he lost the second set. Against Poporin, lost the second set. Against Echeverry, he started to really round into form. 3-3 three, three, and 6. And then against Manarino, Love, Love and 3. Looking like... Any concern over a potential wrist injury, you should forget about that. <laughs> right. Any concern over fitness, you should probably forget
1: about that. He's, Novak is hes on the go. He's and, timing the ball perfectly, which is an, not good news for his opponents. And he's somebody who can, even if he's injured, he's shown he can manage injuries throughout a tournament. He's so superior to his competitors. So that's where we're at with the men. Still Novak's ball ballgame uh, with... Uh, you, you say Sinner, I say Alcaraz as the, the big threats. Oh, I mean, I'm not saying that either of them will do it. Just the the most likely two. Hence threat. <laughs> right. I just wanted to make that... <laughs> you are so anti-prediction.
0: I want to make that very clear. One little tidbit before we move into the women's draw. Doubles player Rohan Bopana, 43 years old. He's one win away from becoming world number one in doubles which would make him the oldest number one in ATP doubles history and also the oldest men's slam champion in history, if what I'm seeing on the internet is to be believed.
1: (laughs) Austin Krychek is currently number one. He and Dodig lost in round two. Bopana has reached the US Open final twice. One uh, was the most recent US Open, He has a slam title in mixed doubles, but currently not one in men's doubles.
0: Remember when we named an episode nobody what was it? The most dramatic person you know is a man? Or something like that? What was it? Did
1: we name and we we named (laughs) the messiest person the messiest
0: person you know is a man. Here uh, comes Mark (laughs) Petci.
1: Why why are we doing this? So
0: Carlos Alcaraz, after his win last night, he's been getting roasted on Twitter today because he was struggling to name a female tennis player that he liked <laughs> or something to that effect. And so that Billy Eichner clip where he accosts this woman on the street and says, name a woman for a dollar, name a woman for a dollar. <laughs> and she's like, ah, and it goes on for like 30 seconds. That was the gist of it. Mark Petchy, who was the questioner, goes to Twitter a couple of hours ago to say, one of the reasons I will be deleting this app the moment I am no longer wanted for commentary. I'm sure that day can't come soon enough for some is that there is zero critical thinking on here or nuance. It was so blindingly obvious why Carlos Alcaraz didn't want to put a name to who he watched on the WTA tour. I even said it after he had finished. You want to know why players become robots in interviews? It's precisely to stop those types of situations occurring. Nothing will overshadow how fun that performance was to watch, though. File this in the
1: category of... What is going... (laughs) This... What? How did this happen? It, it's a meme and people are having fun with it.
0: And file this in the category of the tweet structure that I probably dislike most. Rene Stubbs says, if you don't like at Daniel Medvedev, there is something wrong with you. He's so awesome.
1: <laughs> I saw that and I was like, you know, I actually do. I do like him, but now I don't want to like him. But also, It makes me not want him.
0: But also there are many reasons why somebody would not like Daniel Medvedev. Right. There have been many, many instances over the years with some pretty gnarly stuff.
1: And also, you can like or dislike whomever you you wish. Right? <laughs> anyway, it's not that serious. It really isn't that serious. But with Mark's tweet, he said it was blindingly obvious why Carlos struggled to quote-unquote name a woman. So to quote Cardi B, what is the reason? What is the reason? You didn't tell us. <laughs> The women's side, some would say Carnage. Some would say Australia Geddon or whatever, you know, Wimbledon. I mentioned this on the last episode, and it is truly starting to resemble what happened there in 2013. Only four of the top 32 seeds
0: remain in the final eight. Zhang Wen, Coco Gauff, Barbora Krejcikova, and to my mind, the pre-tournament favorite, and still the favorite, Irina Sabalenko.
1: Yes. The top half was stacked with players like Sviantek, Rybalkina, Ostapenko, Jesse Begula. It has completely fallen apart. It has been swallowed whole. By the round of 16, only three top 10 players remained, and all of them were in the bottom half.
0: The matchups. The Lindas are coming. In fact, one of the Lindas is here. She has arrived. Linda Noskova is going to play half-moon Diana Yastremska in the first quarterfinal in the top half, Kalinskaya against Zhang Wen, Marta Kostiak against Coco Goff, and Barbora Krejcikova against Sabalenka. Take us through the head-to-heads.
1: Noskova and Yastremska have never played. Noskova is only 19 years old. Kalinskaya, who beat Sloane Stephens, who beat Jasmine Paolini, will play Zhang for the second time. Kalinskaya leads that head to head 1 0. 1 0. 1 (laughs) 2 0. How do you say? (laughs) 1 low? I second guessed that. 1 to nothing? 1 and. 1 0? Oh, when you. Okay. 1 0. That'd be the. Uh, Yes. Got it. (laughs) The English language. (laughs) Kogogov leads Mardukostiak 1 0.
0: Wow, you got a chance to redo that right away.
1: And unfortunately, one of my faves, Babs Krajikova, has beaten Sabalenka one out of six times they've played.
0: Babs Krejcikova did the thing
1: in her last match. She did. Uh, she was not her best self in the first set against Mira Andreeva. And she just started doing what she does. I think you mentioned something about rhythm, about uh, like sort of the freedom of her strokes and her movement. I think that's, that's what you see in her best doubles play. And just the sort of like... She
0: has a controlled aggression that mm-hmm. when coupled with her impeccable technique, it looks so effortless, it looks fluid, she gets power out of nowhere. It goes from looking
1: effortlessly sloppy to effortlessly precise. Right, if she's not on her best day, it can look a little listless, right? But against Andreva in the second and third sets...
0: Especially that third set, you, wow.
1: You saw a far less experienced player, just really
0: fall away. Andreeva, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Hingis, and I would compare her now to Hingis in like early 96. Mm. You know, Mm. somebody who clearly has incredible talent, incredible feel around the court, can do anything on the tennis court, but doesn't quite have the power yet
1: And I'll probably eat my words, but the tour in 2024 is so different that I don't see a 17-year-old winning three slams and reaching the final of the other one. Well. (laughs) But, you know, anything could happen. That's what Martina Henkes did. Spare
0: a thought for Elena Svitolina, because once this draw starts to fall apart, I really thought that this could be her moment. And then she gets out there against Linda in her round of 16 match, and in her words, feels something in her back in the very first game and has to retire down
1: Mm 3-love. Or 3-0, to as you say. Back spasm. Very funny. Uh, (laughs) She had back spasms, which is something you really, you can't predict and you can't really do much about. It's a very acute injury. Well, she's hoping that that's all it is. That hasn't been diagnosed. Okay, that's what she thinks. She's going to
0: travel home and then do the scans afterward Mm -hmm. and hope it's not a serious injury.
1: I want to make a mention of Maria Timofeva, who's 20 years old. She has only played 10 matches at the tour level, and she's 8-2. Last year, and I, I don't even remember if we mentioned this last year, it's a pretty big deal. She won Budapest as a lucky loser, having no experience on the main tour level. And now she's reached the round of 16 in Australia after winning three qualifying matches. So that's six matches. And look what she did in the main draw. She took out
0: Cornet in the first round, stunned Wozniacki in the second round, straight setted Hadad Maia in the third round, wore one of the best kits of the event, to my mind, and unfortunately had nothing against Marta Kostyuk losing 6-2, 6-1. The other person that I thought maybe this was their moment, the way things were playing out, can you guess who I'm going to say? The first one was Svedelina. You're looking at my phone now. Azarenko,
1: Oh, got it.
0: <laughs> Vika played an impeccable match against Yelena Ostapenko. Served some of the biggest serves we've ever seen from her. Wow. What a moment that was. Literally,
1: The fastest serves of her life has remade her serve at the age of 33. And I was sitting here thinking, I don't remember this, <laughs> right? When Vika was number one, I don't remember her serve bodying. And then, Jastrzemska takes her
0: out in straight sets.
1: I I watched that last night, and I gotta say, it it was disappointing. It just felt like such an off day from Vika. To be sure, Diana hits the ball beautifully. We know that. We've seen it for years at this point. I think her movement has improved. But Vika's... It just felt like not a very tactically thought-out match. It it felt like a lot of hitting straight back to Diana. I just expected so much more. This could be shaping up nicely for Jung Chinwen. She Well, she is the person I picked to reach the semis, but I expected her to lose to Rabakina. Pretty much all of last year, I
0: said, when pff, being faced with making predictions, it could be Chinwen. It's gonna be Chinwen at some point, why not now? And I did not do this did not do this, this time around, and here we are. She's in the quarterfinals. She has this symmetry thing with Lena winning this tournament ten years ago, and Lina is now in Melbourne. Lena crashed one of her press opportunities and met her for the first time. By slapping her in the butt. <laughs> There's this passing of the torch thing. That could be happening in
1: Melbourne right now. Who knows? Back to Diana. She is truly one of the most chaotic players of this era. Probably the
0: most. Do you want to go through the resume?
1: (laughs) There's, of course, the half-blackface photo shoot that she did during the Black Lives Matter movement for some reason. That was to bring about equality for all. I I do believe that she thought She meant well. That she did something. Like I do. Yeah. Yeah. There is the PED ingestion. We're not going to say. Third party ingestion. How how it was ingested. (laughs) But uh, she tested positive for a banned substance. She had to testify in front of all of us, essentially, that she received the substances. um, Orally. It was an STPED. (laughs) basically oh my god an stpdi Uh, exactly and it worked it worked she also has retired on match point more than one time and then she gives the most charismatic charming interview after the match yesterday and you are tempted to forget all of those things because she was just so sweet and she, there was this one time when she said, ah, I wanted to say something else, but I forgot. And I, I like gripped the couch and like, here we go. But she did forget. Kostyuk against Goff.
0: Goff has been making her way through this draw, losing zero sets, looking better and better every match.
1: Coco is in her, I don't have to play my best tennis to win era.
0: She is still in her, I always seem to have the right things to say era. Okay. For a 19-year-old.
1: When Yelena Dokic asked her to explain what was written on her shoes, I was practically in tears. She has a quote that her dad always used, saying you can change the world with your racket, which, true. In progress. (laughs) Right? The coordinates of her public tennis court in Delray Beach, Florida, and then the names of her little brothers. I mean... And she even called out one of her brothers for being named MVP on his football team. I died, but Coco's kit is fantastic. For me, the best kit of the tournament. I know there was that joke.
0: I, I heard that it was Niga's <laughs> night night session kit. A I thought stump. that was the best kit of the this the that whole season. A, that is
1: a falsehood. That is a lie. <laughs> no, there was that joke. That Kogo's um, kit was inspired by Serena's Bumblebee kit from 2016. And you can, it wasn't true, but you can see uh, the possibility that it was. But the yellow kit coupled with the really nice shoes, I think she's, she has the best looking kit of the tournament, men's or women's.
0: Marta Kostyuk, her press conference after her fourth round match, it caused a lot of talk.
1: But I, I don't know what, Marta is a loose cannon. She's known for this. She is very outspoken about what's happening in her country. And Marta being Ukrainian, right? There and by the way, there were 3 Ukrainian women in the round of 16 here. I don't like when people give her shit for talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine cuz like she's living it. What what do we know? She mentioned something about the 2021 U.S. Open where she felt that Layla Fernandez had a much harder draw than Emma Raducanu, which I feel like is an objective fact. She I think... said,
0: I think her exact words were, Layla was out here fighting for her life every match. <laughs> and Emma was
1: just, whoop to do Like, Layla beat Sabalenka. I just don't... Of all of the things that Marta Kostiak says... It surprised me that that was the thing that set people off.
0: I think because it felt like Emma was just collateral damage to make this point. Right. That she was out here catching strays for no reason. (laughs) And three years on now, almost three years on, do we need to relitigate that? Why is that the first thing that comes to your mind to make this point?
1: Uh, Fair enough. (laughs) When in fact,
0: (laughs) as we've said on the show, Emma won 10 matches to win that title. Who has done that? Nobody.
1: Right. I'm not... I mean, actually, Jastrzemska could do it here. She, she could. potentially She could. could. But I'm not here to take anything away from Emma's title. Marta's point was that matchups matter and draws are different for everybody. Right? Like, this is a major tournament. It happens.
0: And Alina, Svitolina, took the opposite approach to say, it doesn't matter what you think is an easy draw. It's never an easy draw, right. essentially.
1: Right. What else on the women's side? Well, the big one. Linda Noskova beats number one Iga Swiatek in three exciting sets. We've been saying the Lindas are coming for the past year or so, and one of the Lindas is here.
0: Fruvitova is the other one, the other big one. Mm.
1: The, the tennis world has been expecting Noskova for a while. She's a young Czech player, has a lot of power, a great serve. She still had not reached a Grand Slam third round before this.
0: People may say this is an embarrassment of a quarterfinal lineup because of the lack of seeds. Or you could look at it as, well, as is always the case, these youngins are hatching and on their way to snatching. This is something we see time and time and time again, and then by the end of the year... You have this exact same quarterfinal lineup at the U.S. Open, and you're like, oh, wow, what what a time to be alive. What right. an amazing set of matches.
1: Their rankings are up, and then it was clear, oh, wow,
0: these are actually great players. It's too early to make that kind of judgment. It just means that your faves aren't there. Beating Sviantek in that manner was truly an achievement.
1: And it's not a fluke, right? I, I was surprised, honestly, I knew this would be a difficult matchup, and Iga had a very difficult draw. But I guess I've been surprised now looking back at her performance in majors over the last year outside of Roland Garros. There have been some surprising losses, and I didn't really understand watching the match how she wasn't able to find a solution. Uh, she made a lot of errors. Nozgava is someone who's going to rush her, which she doesn't like, of course.
0: This is after she came back from 4-1 double brick down. In the previous match, Spriantech did.
1: I think what, what I don't get is that in post-match interviews, she doesn't seem to have grasped like what what she could have done differently. And maybe after she talks to her team, that will become clear. But for someone who is so incredibly dominant on the main WTA tour and can beat the very best players in the world quite easily, these these performances surprise me. Yeah,
0: I think it's possibly that there was an injury situation at play. She -hmm. was wearing The the, the wrap around the knee midway through that previous match, and she had it on in this match as well. You can never know fully what the extent of that is. Right. Even a small depletion in an athlete's physicality at that level can bear calamitous results. Oh, yeah.
1: And if someone is bombing you like this... Uh, A half-step slow is a big problem. Iga was very complimentary of Linda after the match. She said her serve is very hard to read and compared it to Rybakina and Sabalenka. There was some great tennis played by by both of them. There was a lot of aggression. Linda was able to, like I said, take some time away from Iga. The highlight reel, a lot of backhand down-the-line winners... A few, not many, but a few beautiful inside-out forehands. And it seemed that the match really turned at 3-all in the second set. Iga was leading by a set, had a break point to go up 4-3. Noskova saved that and then broke Iga to love. And everything changed. What do you think's going to happen here, James? It, in the women's draw? Yeah. Wow. It would be very ill-advised to make a prediction here. But... For all of the chaos, you still have number four Goff, the U.S. Open champion. You still have the defending champion, and you have some players who have been predicted to break out for a long time.
0: In terms of talent and prior achievement and potential going forward, I think the maybe the best case semifinal scenario is Noskova against Chinwen and then Goff against Sabalenko. You get those yeah, two matches. I would love to see, and it. it's. I'm there. I'm seated. That said, it's probably going to be Yastrzemska over Kostyuk in the final. (laughs) And Emma will finally be able to sleep well at night.
1: (laughs) And the disclaimer here is that some of these matches are going to be happening as we're editing the episode. And our predictions will be moot at that point. We've made no predictions. Well, whatever. Whatever (laughs) you want to call them.
0: Observations. The fashions. The fashions. Which...
1: Are the fashions in the room with us?
0: Is that a reference?
1: <laughs> it's just a... No, I, the kids have been uninspired for me. There have not been a lot that I can even remember, honestly. That's the total opposite experience for me. What? Compared to other slams? But listen, Adidas gave the women a literal smock. Like the kind that you wear in middle school art class.
0: Sure, but I feel like they have been... More than a handful of players whose kits I really, really like, which isn't the case in most years. Oh. Okay, wow. Well, it's good when we disagree. I liked Coco Goffs. Of course. I liked Mira Andreva's. The yellows were really showing out on those two. Grigor's. Loved the way he wore his. Yeah,
1: Grigor's by far the best on the
0: men's side. Alicia Parks. It wasn't Wimbledon, but I liked it. Okay. Silence from you. You did not like that one.
1: I don't, honestly, I don't really remember it.
0: (laughs) I'm not a fan of sleeveless. And I've been accused in the past of being a body shamer because of it. But (laughs) I just don't like sleeveless kits, period. I don't care who's wearing them. And I still don't like it, but I think Carlos looks pretty good in his.
1: Yeah, I like I like His his
0: is fitted. It's not swimming on him. There's like the big armhole. There, you know, it's. Yeah,
1: the problem with a lot of sleeveless looks is that it looks like a t shirt with the sleeves cut off. It looks rather like than a little dot again that
0: you wear around the house <laughs> or something that you put on to go to the beach. Like, I don't want it for a tennis kit. But Carlos' looks, his looks, the best that I've seen in a while. Mm. Got me all annoyed again thinking about that. <laughs> While I do not believe that it was the best kit at the AO, I did like Iga's night kit. I know there's been a lot of grief thrown her way, given to her, because, what is it, On is her yeah. clothing sponsor. They've just decided to shift the lines on her kit and regurgitate the same stuff that she had last year. And give her the same kit as Ben Shelton. I also liked Ben's night kit as well. I thought he looked really good in his. Savalenka's red kit, perfect fit for her.
1: Okay. I know
0: you're not you're not a fan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no I mean
0: what are we what is it saying? I liked Timofeva's. I thought she looked really good. For the most part I like Jasmine Paulini's. I know you do not like that
1: one. <laughs> I guess I'm just a hater. It's not about it's I, we're not talking about the people wearing them. This is not about how a person looks. This is about the kit itself. I did not they looked like um boxing shorts. Mm. It just wasn't for
0: me. passes was terrible for me. I thought that was one of the worst. He continues to wear the most mundane, boring things on a tennis court, even though he has the perfect physique to wear clothes. It's weird. It's weird to me how he routinely looks unremarkable
1: on it's the tennis surprising. court. It's Adidas. Adidas mm. is the problem. Fight the real enemy. Adidas. Bless Anse. She had a tough second round loss, and she
0: took a lot of pride in designing her kit. I did not like it one bit. One bit.
1: But I but I said, Anz, if you like it, I love it. Do you? I do. Okay. Unconditionally. Babs, cold weather
0: Babs, where she's <laughs> <laughs> wearing the leggings, the arm sleeves. The early days of Barbara Krejcikova dressed on a tennis court was a mess. That's no longer the case. Babs looks put together on a tennis court now.
1: Barbie is just perpetually cold. Djokovic's
0: kits always fit him well and for the most part the color combinations are good but why are we wearing the same things over and over again I feel like I've been seeing the same blue for 3 seasons now
1: No I mean they're actually they're quite nice Yeah Lacoste does great work it's just kind of the same thing over and over Speaking of smocks
0: Andre Rublev wears a smock every day all day <laughs> It's like he's wearing a poncho for a t-shirt <laughs> You also have to be comfortable in it.
1: I'm sure there are others out there that folks loved. Uh, These are just a few. Let's move on to a question that came to us from uh, one of our listeners named Elena Radwan. This came via email, and I wanted to talk about it in the last episode, but it it got so long. Uh, But it's important. There were eight mothers in the Australian Open draw, and... The question is, like, how has being a mom changed on the WTA tour in the past decade? And Elena asked, uh, does the ATP offer parental leave? Are there similar considerations for men who would like to take leave when their partners have children? Currently, the WTA uses the special ranking, which freezes the ranking of athletes who go on maternity leave and then return, So they can use that ranking to enter tournaments, similar to a protected ranking if you're injured, and they can use that up to one year after their return to competition. The ranking will freeze for up to three years from the date they stopped competing, so they don't have to return to tour immediately.
0: In 2019, the WTA introduced a, quote, special seating, meaning that if an athlete returning from maternity leave would have qualified them for seating, they would enter a tournament as, quote, an additional seed. And they can use this at the first eight tournaments that they play, when they return.
1: I wanted to understand what was being offered in other women's sports. FIFA entitles mothers a minimum 14 weeks paid leave due to pregnancy, with a minimum of eight weeks occurring after the child is born. And this is paid at at least two-thirds of their salary.
0: Well, in FIFA... These women have contracts. Yes. They're not independent contractors like in tennis.
1: They're employed by the clubs, right? And then the WNBA has the gold standard in sports maternity leaves. The
0: players receive their full salary during maternity leave, plus reimbursement for fertility treatments or adoption services, a $5,000 childcare stipend, and mental health services tailored to the needs of working mothers. As you said, the gold standard. Yes. In lieu of proper salaries.
1: Uh, Right. But this is what unionization can get you. That was because of a collective agreement bargained between a bargaining unit and the employer. Tennis does not have that, of course. Tennis has a players council that is part of the management structure itself.
0: In the famous letter from WTA players to Steve Simon in late 2023... One of their demands was paid maternity leave. In his response, Simon said that it was under review.
1: At this moment, there is no paid maternity leave. The best the WTA can do is protected ranking and protected seating after women return from maternity leave. And like you said, the players are independent contractors. In many industries, they would be treated the same. No no protections for maternity or parental leave.
0: This question from Elena questions whether the ATP offers paternity leave. And in short, no, they do not. But they do offer it to their front office staff.
1: Yes. If you Google ATP parental leave, the only thing you will get is basically job postings to work for the ATP, which those are full-time employment. They offer perks and benefits like maternity and parental leave. And in fact, the ATP's website recently published a story about Hari Heliovaro, who is a great doubles player. And it was about him deciding to take some time off from the tour, missing Wimbledon, to be there for the birth of his child. And that was so unusual and so remarkable that it merited a story. But there was no mention in the story of any sort of parental leave support for men whose partners were having babies.
0: Elena's question is quite long and there are many parts to it, but I just want to focus in on this one part. She asks, we've been talking a lot about the new WTA moms and rightfully so. I think it's incredible what they are doing and so important, but why are we never ever talking about ATP dads? There are so many more of them and yes, I know it's partially because obviously they're not impacted physically by having a kid, but shouldn't they be there for their kids? How many titles... Have Rafa fed and Djokovic won while their wives were at home with a newborn? Yes, Rafa was out much of last year, but maybe that was a good thing for his kid?
1: It's a valid question. And Andy Murray is someone that she didn't mention, who his wife has had four children during the course of his career, and he has never slowed down except for hip surgery. Rafa's leave coincided with a serious injury, and so that's great that he was there for for his newborn.
0: I think two things have been at play here. Well, maybe maybe three. One is that we, by and large, across the world, live in incredibly patriarchal societies that don't expect this type of parenting from men. Right. That they should be the providers, that they should go out and maybe two weeks here at the start, but, you know, back to work and nobody blinks an eye. Specifically in tennis, the last two decades, have been so driven by statistic chasing, by all of them. These top men, they're the ones who are most able to take a month or two off and not have to worry about finances, but they do have to worry about missed opportunities to win, win big tournaments. Perhaps now that public thinking has ch- is changing, that now that can dovetail with the current crop of male tennis players not having to chase titles, because they won't get there. <laughs> they won't. They simply won't. <laughs> so,
1: no, fair enough.
0: Maybe by the time Carlos is 28 and wants to have kids, he'll have 12 slams by then, and that may be a consideration for him. But by and large, the majority of... Tennis players, top tennis players, shouldn't have that as a consideration going forward.
1: Right. But the labor required from a birthing parent, physical, emotional, mental, is far more than the non-birthing parent, the father in many cases. So yes, maternity leave is a women's rights issue. It should be front and center in the WTA's policies. But... You know, men are when when fathers go back to work, if they take any time off at all, when they go back to work, we don't talk about whether they feel this immense guilt about going back to work and this uh, separation anxiety about from being away from their children. As Naomi was asked. And Serena Williams. In Australia. Right. Like Serena took Olympia everywhere when she returned to tour because it killed her to be away from her.
0: Because the the context there is that people expect mothers to be with their children as much as physically possible. Right. And they don't hold men to that standard.
1: So I would, I would love to see more progressive policies from the ATP about parental leave. But I would also like to see, I think even more importantly, a beefed up maternity leave policy on the women's side. I think
0: Elena's question was getting at why don't we hear any any of the men doing this? There're literally yeah. hundreds of tennis players, but we don't hear about it at all
1: and I think in most cases, it's like a cultural expectation, and also the you know the male player may be the quote unquote breadwinner breadwinner of the family, and it's just expected that he goes back to work or doesn't even pause
0: in Canada, a year of maternity leave is given. Is paid at a portion right yeah and that can be split evenly between the mother and the father or both same-sex parents
1: exactly i i mean i have this conversation at work all the time because of what i do the united states is the only country that would struggle to understand this conversation and as elena points <laughs> right. out they
0: have a fairly progressive policy as well in germany where she's based. right
1: right in canada uh the non-birthing parent can either take the entire parental leave period, which is, I believe, 35 weeks, or you can extend it, or they can split it between both parents. You said the non-birthing? Yes. The the mother or the uh, you know primary adoptive parent or the birthing parent can take both maternity leave and parental leave all by themselves. Mm-hmm. The parental leave period can be split with both parents or the non-birthing parent can take the whole thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. So if the birthing parent is the quote-unquote breadwinner, then they can immediately pretty much go back to work, and then the non-birthing parent does the primary caregiving.
1: Exactly. And I've known parents who've gone off and on, back and f- like traded back and forth, and that's all okay as long as your employer can deal with it.
0: But Elena, you're right. This is not a conversation that we have at all, and the expectations that we have of men are entirely disproportionate, and the extent of the discourse surrounding fathers on the ATP tour is, oh my God, look at Rafa with his son, look at so-and-so with the kids, the kids are in the stand, blah blah blah. And of course, these men can afford, the majority of them, to pay for care, especially the top men. And that kind of insulates them from discussions about the emotional care that's needed to to raise children.
1: And Like, listen, it's none of my business how people parent, but fathers with a bunch of kids, most of these top players have, they have not taken time off, right? They're traveling almost the entire year. So you bring your kids or whatever, but you are committed to your career, number one. Anyway, this conversation reminded me of Lindsey Davenport's son, Jagger Leach, playing in the junior boys draw here. He's 16 years old, and I remember when he was born. This is so weird. He uh, So he won his first match in the boys' draw, lost his second. I remember very clearly when Lindsay went off because she was pregnant. It was barely a year removed from when she finished 2005 number one in the world. Came very close to winning two slams that year. That famous Wimbledon loss to Venus Williams. And a loss in the Australian Open to Serena Williams. But Lindsay was, aside from not winning those slams, the player of that year. This is also the tournament that
0: sees the debut of Leighton Hewitt's son, Cruz. And what that means is that we will truly never be rid of Leighton Hewitt.
1: <laughs> Ever. Yeah, I just want to mention that. Uh, so Lindsay goes off in 2007. She's pregnant with Jagger. She gives birth in June of that year. And in September, I remember this so clearly. She returns to the tour and wins the singles title in Bali. She had won the doubles title the year before with Karina Morariu. I think a lot of people forget that she did come back from maternity leave. She won three more singles titles, so four total, and two more doubles titles after that. I liked what Lindsay said uh, about Jagger growing up watching Madison Keys, because he was a kid when Lindsay was traveling the world with Madison and she said he draws a lot of inspiration from her.
0: That when he's training in Florida, that he often stays with Madison and Bjorn, her fiancé now, I think. And that Madison, I guess these are my words, but it has been kind of a mothering figure to him. Lindsay also said that she didn't have to push Jagger into playing tennis. And she didn't even have to teach him as much as she would really any other... As much as any other tennis parent would, because Madison was there. Like he learned so much <laughs> just by being around Madison, by just happening to be at the courts while Lindsay's coaching Madison. It's cute to see this extended family dynamic that has happened mm-hmm. on the WTA tour. So, you remember the last episode where I made this quip about John Wertheim and SI and the AI? Yeah,
1: well, his seed report that got published with a lot of errors. Yeah,
0: the larger point of saying that was that AI was taking over and that SI was a shell of what it was. It wasn't a dig this time at Wertheim. We understood that all this was probably at play. Well, not more than 24 hours later, we get news that everybody at SI is being fired
1: horrible. Potentially the entire editorial staff of Sports Illustrated is being laid off. The ownership structure is kind of hard to understand. So this company called Authentic holds the licensing rights to publish Sports Illustrated. And the Arena Group is the one that operates the actual publication. They're the publishers. So the Arena Group missed this big payment to Authentic. And as a result, Authentic revoked the licensing agreement. And that's what triggered the layoffs. Essentially, there was no there was no more money coming in. The Arena Group notified staff last Friday that there was going to be a layoff affecting all employees who work on the Sports Illustrated brand. Unionized employees would be given 90 days notice. And there is a slight chance that if the licensing agreement is renewed, that those employees, or some of them, wouldn't be laid off. Any employees who were non-union were terminated immediately.
0: Manoj Bargava, who until recently was the interim CEO of ARENA, recently told SI employees, quote, the amount of useless stuff you guys do is staggering. And you have here on the agenda in parentheses, this is a common refrain among finance bros and tech people, always promising to cut the fat. And without naming where you were formerly employed, this was something that you went through personally (laughs) at your prior job. Yes.
1: No, but uh, we've seen this across print media, private equity or venture capital dudes come in. They're always mad, by the way. They buy these legacy media companies and they think they see like there oh there's so many efficiencies i can find there's so many people doing useless stuff and they're going to be
0: the geniuses to write the ship right, to bring it back to prominence they
1: are the disruptors right and of course what we find is something that michelle obama said that always resonates with me that they don't know what they're doing you think because they have a lot of money and they're very successful in their field that oh they must have a plan and it turns out there is no plan they have no experience in this field. And now it turns out that Bargava, who was the interim CEO, very briefly, of Arena Group, has stepped down from Arena because a company that he wholly owns will be making an investment in Arena Group. Okay, does that sound above board to you? Conflict of motherfucking interest. Which is why he stepped down as CEO. But, you know, not to sound too sentimental, but Sports Illustrated has produced some of the most important sports writing in this language.
0: Pure Pro- point blank period. Probably one of the reasons I got interested in sport was buying SI Kids. Right. <laughs> SI Kids was so cool. If you think back on the history of SI, it is one of the magazines that has the most one of the most storied histories. It's one of the magazines that was instrumental in people thinking of sport seriously.
1: And accepting that sports writing could be real journalism, could be creative nonfiction.
0: You look back at some of the covers that people have been sharing online in the wake of this news, dating back to, I don't know when this this magazine came to be, but I saw as early as 1962. And we're talking about the greatest athletes in the history of the world, documented and given life to new generations through this magazine. some of the A lot of the research that we've done for our history episodes comes from the SI archive. I really hope yes. that doesn't fall by the wayside.
1: And where are we now? We're at a place where Sports Illustrated is using third-party vendors to create AI stories. This was a big scandal in the second half of last year where it was found out that Sports Illustrated had published these product reviews that were written by writers who do not exist, who are not humans. They made up fake identities.
0: And Pictures it, generated <laughs> by AI. <laughs> yes,
1: they were just AI-written stories. And Bargava blamed it on this vendor that they use called Advon Commerce. And supposedly, SI was assured that all of the stories were being written by human beings who actually exist uh, in this dimension. That was not true. It's it's deeply embarrassing for the publication, and now we're not even clear if the publication still exists. This, you know, this AI stuff happened at Gannett Newspapers. Gannett, and, don't get me started, has, you know, bought up so many local newspapers across the United States. It happened at BuzzFeed, and it will continue to happen with, with the rise of generative AI.
0: And as this affects tennis currently, John Wertheim's seed reports... John Wortham's coverage on SI, as much as sometimes we feel he misses the mark, it's still something that folks heavily rely on. It's still a big part of an already dwindling tennis ecosystem in news media.
1: Yeah, like somebody who's been reporting on the sport for 30 years, who wrote Venus Envy, who has been writing these seed reports four times a year for decades, who now works for 60 Minutes. Like, that's so embarrassing, Right. And that's not the fault of a journalist that something like that gets published.
0: To finish the episode, let's finish it with a little bit of mess. Some good old-fashioned wow. mess. And
1: who is at the center of it? The same protagonist antagonist as the last episode, Andre Agassi. And
0: <laughs> Simona Halep up in mm-hmm.
1: Hi, Steffi. I'm waiting for you. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Simona announced today that she's returning to tennis. Returning... To tennis. Okay,
1: I had to wait till I saw this reported from a legitimate source, because Twitter had it first. Andre and Steffi will be playing in an exhibition match with Simona Halep in Cluj, Romania, at the sports festival. Tennis Channel released this video package covering the story, essentially promoting that Simona is returning to tennis. Pray, what is she returning from? Mm. And... What is she returning to? Hmm. Certainly not the tennis tour. She's returning to an exhibition in Romania.
0: Andre resurfaced last week at the Australian Open with Justin Gimelstab in tow as his supposed manager, or so we were told. And it seems that his first order of business is to organize this exhibition. With a
1: player serving a doping suspension?
0: who's, Who's footing this bill? Is it Daddy Warbucks? Is it Nastasi okay. who is who is?
1: <laughs> let let us not get a cease and desist. Uh, but
0: are the Agassi's down that bad? Well, because I, I put this is my Steffi question. in the same basket here because they are
1: both, or at least one point, were stinking rich from tennis. And Steffi is not exactly out here right. trying to make a dime off tennis.
0: Steffi like, maybe <laughs> pops up once a year, once every two years to play a little match.
1: <laughs> right. We saw Steffi play uh, an exhibition in Toronto maybe 10 years ago. And Monica was there, remember? Steffi does
0: not play does no. Legends at the Slams. No. So what has Andre inveigled her into doing here? Well, like, and why?
1: What is the cause? Exactly. You would be right to ask like why is this happening
0: and why is Gimbelstab a part of it and for it to be simona like there are a lot what is going on
1: i mean and this is in his book andre is somebody who used recreational drugs and never had to serve a band so maybe he's sympathetic to people who are on doping suspensions damn no but that's true and the speculation part of it i say recreational i mean hard drugs Crystal meth.
0: I, <laughs> it's in the book. I just wouldn't expect you to go down that road. What? I'm just like legitimately surprised that you oh. did that. But that's, that's, not,
1: that's not messy. That's factual.
0: But then to tie Simona to oh. that.
1: Well, no, she didn't do that. But this is like, <laughs> so I've been watching Listen, uh, you are being messy. Real Stop Housewives. pretending like you were not just being messy I just now. Fine. I've been watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because I've never seen it. The only Housewives I ever watched was Atlanta and Potomac. And more recently, Salt Lake. Beverly Hills is fascinating. Brandy Glanville accused Kim Richards of doing crystal meth in the bathroom, which was at the time a patently ridiculous accusation and very, very cruel. That's sort of what it reminded me of. But Andre actually did it. Okay. I have an honest question. Yes. Because you know I, I don't follow a lot of sports other than tennis. Okay. In other sports, mm-hmm. do the sporting institutions... Promote players who are currently serving doping suspensions? Uh, how am I supposed to okay, know that? Well, you don't. You don't have to answer it, but to, it is. This is a genuine question. I'm not trying to be shady at all. To me, it struck me as very odd that Tennis Channel would promote Simona while she's serving a doping suspension for playing an exhibition in June. Uh, it's just weird to me. It's Paola, babes. Well, okay. On that note, (laughs)
0: you've come to the end of episode 330. Thank you again to everybody who's helped us reach our goal for our GoFundMe. Like you mentioned at the top of the show, it will remain open until a week after the next episode, which will wrap the Australian Open. If you've been meaning to donate but haven't yet, you still have time. We just won't be promoting it anymore on social media. You can find the GoFundMe at linktree.com slash body serve. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at Tennis underscore John.
1: And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.